Brands that can connect with their audiences more viscerally and more authentically will always be successful. With the Insights Out podcast, you will get access to deep and detailed conversations with the heads of leading organizations to understand how they are making their customer relationships work best and how we can all become more aligned to deliver strong value exchanges and better realize the benefits. I'm your host, Dr. Natanya Wachtel. Welcome. Hello, welcome to Insights Out, uh, where we shine a spotlight on modern solutions to put customer data to work. We unearth game-changing intelligence, predict customer needs, and seamlessly connect insights into measurable action everywhere your brand touches your customer. My guest today is Matt Tucker. Matt Tucker is a medtech commercialization expert who has held leadership positions at multinational companies like Baxter and Milan, in addition to startups funded by angel investors through Series C. He's currently the chief commercial officer and board member at Nightwear, which offers a prescription digital therapeutic for the treatment of nightmare disorder. He actively consults on behalf of VCs to qualify investment opportunities and advise small companies working to get off the ground. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. So Matt and I actually met a few years back when he was the VP of marketing at Mylan, which um, included many products, EpiPen being one of them. And we learned a lot working together. And I thought Matt would be an amazing guest for us to kind of share his experience across different kinds of markets and verticals within the life sciences industry and shine a light on also some of the unique differences between those kinds of groups, whether we talk about med tech, traditional pharmaceutical marketing and devices, and how they approach customers and customer insights. So if you want to start maybe letting us know a little bit about your background and you, and then we can get into some of the great gems you're going to drop with us today. Sure. Uh, it, you know, when One of the things that's been a little bit maybe different about my career versus a lot of people has been the the broad variety of different product categories uh, and different spaces, you know, from a specialty perspective. So uh, I started out in uh, in sales at Baxter Healthcare and then moved into a, a traditional marketing role, product manager in med device or surgical medical devices, uh, worked you know as hard as I could to accumulate a, a, a larger portfolio within that business. Ended up leaving and, and had the startup bug, so started working with a, a number of startups, um, you know, doing but more of a traditional marketing role, but but starting to really develop my commercialization expertise outside of just marketing. Somewhere along the way, uh, stood up a medical device distributorship where I, I brought a couple people along and and we. Uh, created a portfolio where we literally went out and and sold it as a 1099 uh, to trauma and uh, cosmetic surgeons, uh, a variety of of you know, small innovative medical devices that were going to help their practice either on that trauma side or on the cosmetic side. Uh, that was a fascinating experience because you really got to you know live and and have ownership of that sales cycle mm-hmm. and understanding how what you were doing as a, a marketer and someone who was doing product development and commercialization ends up in the sales force's hands and and puts them in a position either in a positive way or a negative way to sell something right right. Uh, 
then you know moved it to uh, to uh, the role at Milan where where we met. Um, uh, spent three or four years there. Uh, wanted a change and moved into an innovation role at a very large Blue Cross Blue Shield health insurer, where I, I did innovation and then as well enterprise strategy. Uh, and then decided after working with Nightwear uh, over the course of about a year and a half on a consulting basis to jump on board there uh, at a certain point when we had enough investment to bring me on as the chief commercial officer, also as a board member uh, across all this time, uh, you know, 15 years, I guess. But when I look back at it, I've been consulting with smaller uh, very early stage companies and very early stage um, VCs that do seed funding of really small companies to get them off the ground. So I, I do a lot of commercial assessments with my consulting team and then as well do uh, a, a lot of work trying to help these companies uh, just understand how to make a plan that is going to lead them to success. Sometimes that looks like commercial commercialization plans. Other times it looks like more launch planning. Uh, and then, you know, uh, a lot of the time it's giving them education on how to pitch their company uh, in a positive light to investors and really think through what they're building. So when they get uh, questions from investors, they're able to answer them. And you'd be surprised at how many people at the very, very early stage haven't thought far enough, get in front of investor, uh, the investor community and, and have a great idea, but don't have a plan to get past the idea uh, and product development phase. Yeah. And I think there's a lot in there that's different, but also shades of one another, especially around articulating the value story for both, for all parties, right? So what's in it for me from the customer, patient, provider perspective, and what's in it for me from the services or solutions partner side. And so that everyone makes an easy choice where it's not a sale per se, it's the beginning of a relationship. And I think you're really one of those few people who are able to see that it's important to understand both sides of the coin there. Well, it's it's fascinating what you're saying because you're you're right. That's a blind spot for a lot of people where they will hone in on one customer set and they'll develop their messaging for that one customer set. And they're not really thinking uh, how that messaging might apply to other audiences uh, or they're not thinking how they can take similar messaging and tweak it just a little bit to where it resonates with those audiences. And, and maybe some of this has come from the fact that I've, I've, I've seen at least oh, well, three different angles of audiences, right? Like I've, I've, I've been on the, the device side and, and, and the pharmaceutical side and the marketing side where, you know, predominantly a clinician has been the customer, uh, occasionally a patient, right? But the clinician really driving the decisions. So I would attenuate those messages to that customer. But then when I moved over into um, so Backstripe for a, a long period of time, I did acquisitions and like portfolio development. So then I was working with VCs, you know, and, and working with startups who were coming in and pitching, you know, a product that they had that they wanted Baxter to acquire. So, so, you know, now you're, I'm, I'm a different type of audience, right? So right. the audience, rather than giving message to another audience, now I'm the audience. So seeing how people would position it 
Uh, and then, you know, moving into uh, high market and an and insurance role where I have, you know, literally hundreds of innovative companies coming and telling me how our you know, insurance plan, uh, it, you know, huge number of, of lives we, we insured, right? Because if we were Pennsylvania, Delaware, West Virginia, you know, lots of people um, that, you know, that, that was a, a such an interesting experience, you know, having previously uh, been positioning to a large insurer as a customer and then being that customer was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like they're, they're way off on the story they're telling. And, and I always felt empathy around that because I'd made those mistakes before. Yeah. Well, speaking of mistakes or learning life lessons or however you want to spin the the vernacular to to be a resilience mindset, um, can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you've seen across the sort of different kinds of businesses in terms of, you know, branding and those customer relationships strengthening? It'd be really interesting if you had any examples uh, to share in terms of either moments where you said there were those lessons uh, and or, you know, breakthroughs within, you know, whether you or your teams brought them within the organizations that you felt were really successful? Sure. Yeah. I think when, when you're, you're talking about brand building, you're talking about uh, the, the messaging that you're trying to deliver to customers. I think the, the, the common theme is that uh, in every circumstance, you have to build it foundationally. Right. And, and if you don't have a methodology or, or some framework that you use, um, you can end up in a position where you, you, I feel like it's throwing you know, paint at the wall. Right. And, and just you know, trying to see what to throw spaghetti at the wall, you know, it, it, trying to see what is going to stick. Um, there are a lot of different frameworks that you can use. I don't think any of them are right or wrong. I have my own favorite framework. But <clears throat> the common theme is that there, there needs to be a framework, right? And, and there's a, a foundation you need to build for yourself as you're doing this. Then the, the second piece of the puzzle is who is that audience? And are you really attenuating what your brand, what your product, what your service is to that particular audience, as we spoke about before? And and really identifying and understanding and giving that customer information around you know what it is about your product brand or service that is going to make their lives better or easier or faster or cheaper or whatever it is they're trying to 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 whatever their end goal is really what your brand has to convey that you're helping them do so that you know, that's the the thematically, whether you're a device or you're a drug or an insurance company or whether you're a VC and you're 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 trying to offer your assistance to a new startup, um, you 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 have to really articulate what's in it for that other person you're going to be working with, right? And and coming at it from a, a service mindset rather than a, a selling the product mindset is something that's really valuable when yeah go, go ahead oh no no i was just about to say that 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 one point it's so 
basic. It's actually, you know, probably in anyone who's taken a marketing course or (laughs) communications course, branding, right? That's the 101. The what's in it for me has to be about the customer. And people say they're doing that. But obviously, we've all seen, I'm sure many of the listeners, as well as people, our colleagues and ourselves, have seen that actually doing that in action and taking ego off the table. And ego could be from president level, leadership level, um, from even advertising agency partner level where they're trying to just be like, we're the best, we're the best. I mean, that is just, that's more the norm. And then you see sort of these folks that here and there break through, you know, with their campaigns, with their messaging and positioning, let's say with the wards, if you will, where we see the consistently one of the variables that seems to be the same, regardless of whether it's an execution that has cartoons or is, 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 um, poignant in a in an emotional way, you know, um, uplifting, whatever it is, the ones that seem to break through are the ones where they have actually connected with something authentic with their customer in some way. And well, less about what the thing does, if you will. Yeah. And and well, so that's fascinating on a few fronts. And and let me let, let me deconstruct that a little bit. So Natanya, you know that you know, one of the initiatives that I have going on with a, a couple of co-founders is uh, the site called MedTech and Mindset. And um, every day I put out a MedTech and Mindset moment. And some of the comments have been exactly like what you just said, where it's like, hey, these are really great foundational, fundamental, little 30 second reminders about things that people often forget about right and and what happens is is they think they're more advanced than they are sometimes they they get confused by a lot of distractions that are out there and they forget to do the basics the blocking and tackling and you know i joke with people all, all the time that like i'm probably not the most advanced marketer out there like i don't I, i'm not the most advanced commercialization person out there. There are people who, you know, in different areas have technical competencies and competencies and skill sets are way above mine. But the thing that I've been really good at that has brought a lot of value to businesses uh, across a variety of different categories is, is making sure that that blocking and tackling gets done and is done as effectively as you, as you can get it. Because what will happen is, is that to the second point, uh, a lot of people, when they don't do that, they'll advance past it. They'll create things that are very shiny, right? That they've got these shiny, sexy, whether it's campaigns or whether it's collateral materials or, or sometimes even their product, it, 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 it has an appearance that will attract an initial set of customers. But when they use it, 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 it doesn't work out how they, how they thought, right? And, and they're not articulating that clear value proposition. And I agree with you when you look at the things that are really working and you back it out, what you find is you find a very simple, clear message from that company, from that campaign, from that product that is telling you very easily, specifically and clearly the value, the value that that customer is going to get. And a lot of people just forget it, right? And and they 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 don't spend enough. Yeah, time. from their from their lens, right? You know, yeah. and that's sort of that nuanced thing, like the end benefit with them in mind, not the end benefit of the sale, 
or even the product attributes. And it just, it's just interesting, right? Like we can come so far forward and also seem to have to go so far backwards. Well, then there was a, there was a, a, a moment, a med tech moment that I, I recorded not long ago and released and, and the whole question, the, the, a lot of them are questions, right? I'm asking thought provoking questions and asking if you're, if you're open-minded enough to do it. Right. And one of the questions was, when you're in front of a patient and they're telling you about all the great things that that uh, your product helped them with, are you comfortable enough to ask them what's not going right or what could be better? And and, and it's a uh, that is the ego right there, right? If you're able to put that aside and ask these questions and then just listen. Right and not feel the urge, not feel the need to defend it, not feel the 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 need to um, uh, try to explain why it's that way. Right, we, we we all start mansplaining everything. Right, and, and and it's it's the time where you're supposed to just be listening and and discovering and thanking them for the feedback, and then going back. And, and working with your team to figure out if it's a messaging problem and that needs to be changed, or if it's a real product problem or a service problem around the product that needs to be changed or modified. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, I had a question that's a, maybe a little unusual, but I don't, I don't think so. I was curious about if we could focus maybe on traditional pharma marketing for a moment. And I'd love to see if you could fantasize for a moment and say to me, thinking about if you had like a magic wand that you could wave, you know, around and, and, and change things for the better, you know, what would you, what would you do there? What would you try to do to like really empower some of the traditional companies in terms of their approach to connecting with customers? Yeah. I think that that that's a, a a really interesting question. I, I think that pharma, because the sales staff, the marketing staff, is a little more removed from the day to day thought process of decision making with a customer. They have a tendency to do m- more research that is really formal. Uh, that that they have that they have the staffing for it and the ecosystem built around brands to be able to do it. There were, there were a a huge number of things that, that when I moved into pharmaceuticals, I had access to that weren't even an option in device. Right. And and it's not like I worked for some sort of small run of the mill device company. I worked for Baxter healthcare. I mean, it's like 60,000 people worldwide. The thing was huge, but the, the approach to marketing, uh, the approach to customer research w- was was probably the most divergent that that then it was it was much more divergent than you would expect. And, and I think that there is a tendency in device to, to think that, you know, your, your product sells itself a little bit more. Right. Because it's maybe a, a, a device that's more hands on. It's more technical Maybe in a in a more specialized way, there's no compet- direct competitor. A hundred percent, right? And, and what what ends up happening is that the whole industry 
starts thinking that uh, it's just groupthink, right? Where, well, if you create a good enough device, it's going to sell itself. And and I've found that not to be true, right? Um, So one of the things- Or only to a point, you know, you get to sort of stage A and then that's it. You sort of, you tap out because you're- Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't fundamentally think that you can get wide adoption unless you can effectively articulate the value of your product and and the benefit that somebody's going to get out of it um sure there's all always you know experimenters who will go and who will adopt it i found that without the reinforcement of that messaging that you create for a new customer the 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 people who will jump on the bandwagon early on they usually don't mean that they don't have a, a longevity as a customer Right. So, or the so what power happens, to shift the whole marketplace with them. Yeah. I mean, it, it they either or. <laughs> yeah. They, well, they jump in, right. And, and, and they'll like it. But what will happen is because the messaging and the value proposition has never been clearly articulated, they'll second guess whether they need it. Right. So, right. what will happen is, is they'll, they'll use it, but, but they're not, they're not committed customers. Right. There's a difference between a committed customer or an advocate customer and a garden variety dabbler customer who the, the next time a, a company develops a product that looks similar enough, a rep can come in there and replace it because you've never articulated the value well enough. Yeah. So that goes back to that first point about messaging and, and, and really curating that message specifically for the customer that you're in front of in their own particular and specific needs and giving them the benefits that are really going to resonate. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that to the, to the heart of your question, it's really about the approach to understanding the customer or, or not. Now you, you'll find a lot of, uh, of, of people who are the technical experts they're, they're they're experts about the the device. Uh, there are a lot of them out there who I'm not sure are marketers, and they definitely don't have an expertise in commercialization. And, and that's because uh, it, it very often in the departments they work in, they're not given the resources to be anything more than that. So they're technical experts. They can do a great job of articulating how you use a device. Um, you know, maybe even why you use the device, but they're they're not great at at some of that fundamental marketing expertise, and they're not converting that into initiatives that are broadly telling the story. So one of the one of the I'll compare and contrast this, uh, and and try to to bring in what we've been doing at Nightwear, and and it really is blending the two, right? So right. it. We have a great device. Uh, it is for the treatment of, of nightmares associated with PTSD or traumatic events. It is a uh, it's, it's non-pharmaceutical. It's not invasive. It, it literally uses uh, artificial intelligence to monitor biometrics while you're sleeping. It can uh, essentially sense when you're having a nightmare and it interrupts that nightmare by buzzing the watch without arousing you to a point of waking up, right? So now this has no competition. It's the only indicated product for this condition, which is a severe and urgent condition. Um, Untreated nightmares lead to suicide at a rate of two to uh, five times more than treated nightmares. 
so it's it 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 is filled with patients who need help. Yeah, and all the other things in terms of you know not getting your rest, you know, right. and depression as well as you know maybe absenteeism. I know you work with the Department of Defense, you know, in terms of active duties soldiers. Right. You know, there's a lot of risk for not getting a, a proper 100%, sleep. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So you know, we did a deeper brand exploration than um, most device companies do. And I remember the conversation with, you know, our, our, our CEO. I remember the conversation with some of our advisors and investors because the amount of money that we invested in in developing our brand, articulating our brand, was was for a startup at our phase. I mean, people were confused, right? You don't need this. Why are you spending so much money on this? And, and Really, it came down to a, 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 a conversation around who we were trying to be. Are we trying to be a customer-focused, uh, you know, customer experience-oriented company, or are we out there just trying to sell another device? And even right. if our device is unique, what 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 are our plans for the company? What are our aspirations for the company? And and our aspirations for the company. But, you know, it's truly to leave no patient with nightmare disorder behind. That's what it is. And and sure, you know, without the brand articulation, which really is establishing those fundamental and foundational, you know, uh, beliefs in, in what your product value is, um, Sure, we could we could penetrate the the DOD and help some military people, but we'd never get outside of that, and that's not our aspiration. So we needed to invest in that that those building blocks that really allowed us to do that. Now in pharma, like it's just assumed you would do that, right? You would never not do that. Yeah, it's just such a a divergence, and a lot of it is the the thinking that well, you know. Our device is special. It's unique. Everybody will see it. And I tell you, I can't, uh, you'd be surprised and shocked at how many companies I see, um, mainly through my work with VCs, who the founders just believe, uh, we we don't need all that. This product is going to fly off the shelves. And, And they'll invest millions and they'll get nothing out of it because they're they're letting their ego get in the way. They're not being open-minded that you have to tell your story. And if you don't work through that process, then you know you, you're not going to reach the aspirations and goals that you have for yourself and your company. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something, a little nuanced point in there that, of course, appeals to me intellectually and, and from my other life around the research approach. And we talked about, I mean, you talked about it from a spend perspective, but I want to unpack that one layer down because I've worked with you before and I know you appreciate this nuance difference here is it's not so much the spend per se, but it's about the approach and the partnership that sometimes because it's specialized requires a bit of investment, but you can still spend the same and get nowhere. If you're working with sort of the old school confirmation bias market research tools. And so you're smiling. And so I think that's another nuance that's really important. So if you even get someone who wants to do it, traditionally, and we see this, especially in big pharma, 
you have people essentially creating surveys, if you will, market research, primary research in person, very expensive, or even on in mobile, where they're asking people questions directly that give you an answer. And then they make a cognitive jump to say that's a predictive question. For example, you know, they'll ask, Dr. Matthew Tucker, you know, do you like blue? I like blue. Oh, great. Matt says he likes blue. We're going to email him some blue stuff. Like, and that's going to make him buy our product. Like it's, it's that bad. And I see it quite a bit. And I'm I know you have too. And we saw this in our, in our time together around what motivates people to take action. And also that disconnect that cognitive dissonance that we all share between what we say would be our ideal self and our ideal behaviors and what we really do. And understanding that is a discipline in in and of itself. And that's sort of um, a more indirect, a more, a less alchemy and a science approach. And I think it's a little scary for some of the traditional marketers and marketing teams and research teams to deviate from the sort of A plus B equals C, only that model. And, you know, this is more transitive property, right? So, so it's really interesting to hear you say that. And there's definitely a lot of skepticism and pushback on the value of marketing outside of producing and executing a lot of stuff. That's where the the spend goes or the media portion of the execution. And I think what you brought up is 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 exactly that. That's one of the things that if I could, you know, get on a platform soapbox and, and really beg for people to listen, it would be to be a little more discerning into the methodology in terms of how you go about doing it, as well as the why you need to do it. And and uh, you know, I, I'm hoping this is not, I'm hoping this isn't, you know, non sequitur. I'm hoping this isn't distracting the conversation, but there are, I know you love to talk about incentives, right? Incentives, yeah. that, right? So what is, has been fascinating to me and one of the reasons why from a career perspective, I just don't want to work anywhere other than startups where I can build this stuff the way I know it should be built. Not that I'm the expert on every single thing, but at least I, I, I've made enough mistakes to know what my own cognitive biases are. Right. Right. What are the incentives that, that, you know, marketers and product leaders and commercial leaders are getting at their companies? A, A lot of the incentives are to not do those things that you're talking about. Right. What, what will happen is, is it because it's a risk, right? But it's, it's a per, it becomes a personal, it's not the quick answer sometimes. And it may or may not be the answer that you were hoping for. Right. And you may need to adjust your resources accordingly based on these new answers. And you may even shift your target. Right. And your P and L and everything is tied to that. You've got those things. You've also got more, uh, let's call them human to human interactive, uh, risks, right? And yep. it's where you've got salespeople who literally just want more stuff, right? And and they don't, they're not valuing that other stuff because they've not seen what that looks like when it's good. Right. So, so because of that, they don't have an experience. And there's no training that, that kind of mindset also, that's another thing, right? Like it doesn't trickle through all the departments with the same valuation. So maybe one group sees the light, but the other groups 
don't. And so then there's a disconnect within the system, within the ecosystem of the yep. just the structure of the operations. And so you have an imbalance there. Absolutely. So then um, you, you look at an organization like like I'm in at Nightwear and I control all those things. Right. So Easier to I, connect the dots. Exactly. So I control the branding. I control the marketing messages. I control the sales messages. I control the sales training. Right. And and when when you're the one who who is able to see all of those things in your you're trying to carry it through uh, the the uh, to the to the branding to messages we're doing when we meet with key opinion leaders like all, all of it there's a theme there's a stream there's a thread that runs between it so it you can execute it and you get an amplification of your efforts when it is all connected but if it, you know if all the sales People report to me, so I, I collect the feedback directly, and they can't go to anybody else with, you know, thoughts or complaints. But but if they, <laughs> they, they reported to some other person, right? Very often they would they'd have a conversation with a doctor who maybe uh, didn't respond to the messages, or maybe they had their own take on it, or they they did the you know how you should really sell this. You should really sell right. this by talking about these things. And it's like, okay, well, one person said that, you know, and it's like, it's great that one person can have their opinion and, and it's valid from their perspective, but that doesn't mean that because of that one person, we need to change our messaging because that's right. If you really think that they're onto something that you didn't articulate, maybe you can go at least get a small quorum and see if that's a real trend or is that an individual opinion? Absolutely. Exactly. So this has been amazing. We're kind of coming up on time now. Is there anything you'd like to share with, um, you know, our audience uh, in closing around sort of your, I don't want to say your tenants, but your your basic foundational things that you sort of keep in mind? I know you're really good at sort of boiling things down to a couple couple main points that you 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 use as your driving factors. Do you have any of those? And if I put you on the spot for this, uh, apologies right now. No, that's that's okay. I'm 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 trying to get it down from a list of 10 to maybe a list of three. <laughs> okay. I think that for anybody who is thinking about you know customer insights and and how it relates to to, to marketing and commercialization and product growth. And, and really, most most importantly, customer satisfaction and experience. There are probably three really important things. So one is, um, yeah, I, I think tailoring your message to be very specific and customized to the audience you're in front of. Right. So so not using a one size fits all messaging. Right. That that's probably the first one. The second one is, um, you know, open mindedness and curiosity. So being able to go into any situation and, and asking yourself if if you're am I being truly open minded when I'm sitting and I'm, I'm talking and, and, and not coming at it from, um, you know, listening to react or respond, but listening truly to understand that, right? So that kind of curiosity and and seeking to understand is is critically important. You'll hear things that that you've missed over and over and over when you approach it that way. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, I think the, the third is, is, is challenging yourself 
to not do a, a, a rinse, wash, and repeat type of process throughout your career. Right. right. With the and, same partners, with the same yeah. structure, with the same, I mean, we're, it's crazy how in one way people are talking about evolution, you know, evolve or die, evolve or die, the evolution of marketing. And yet you peek under the covers and it's still the same old, same old. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, going back to incentives, the, the, the question is like, what are, what are the incentives? Are you aware of the incentives affecting you? Right. And, and if you're more aware of the incentives affecting you, it at least then becomes a choice. Yep. Right? It, it becomes a choice. It becomes it rather than just passively doing it. Cause there, there are times where it's like, Hey, I need to go to my old partner because I know they can accelerate me really fast, but Absolutely. okay. Uh, they're going to have blind spots. I'm going to have blind spots. Do we you know how do we get a third opinion? What is it we can build in to open our minds to things that maybe we haven't seen before that amplifies sort of the, the fast tracking you can do with partners, you know, well, yeah. but also gives you some new ideas that, that you would not have previously explored. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So we, would you take a moment and just let our listeners know where they can find and connect with you? Sure. I'm sure this has spurred a lot of interest and insights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, you can find me on on LinkedIn just by, you know, I, I would look for Matthew Tucker Nightwear. You'll, you'll probably find me pop up. Um, the, the best thing to do, I think, is, is however, to go to www.medtechandmindset.com. Uh, and we have a free weekly newsletter that uh, has great insights. There are insights from uh, a number of people, Natanya included. Yeah. Um, and it, it is a fabulous resource. Uh, additionally, uh, on my LinkedIn, every day you find a uh, med tech and mindset moment. And uh, what we're trying to do is raise a, a, a awareness of uh, the combination of technical skill sets, and personal development skill sets, because what we know is that uh, you know, at least 50%, probably more of our success is not hinged on the technical part. It's uh, what's right here between your ears uh, and, and it creates the greatest restrictions and creates the greatest opportunities in, in your life. And that's what we talk about you know, every week and every day. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matthew. It's been really a pleasure and uh, wishing you all good things. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Insights Out. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have a specific topic in mind and you want us to discuss, please reach out to us by visiting newsolutionsnetwork.com. See you next time.